secrets out the bag. It's Giving Sunday. It's not Giving. It is Giving Sunday, but we, we talk about what our focus is this year. We do two Giving Sundays a year, so one in the autumn, then one in the spring. So at the end, I will be talking about money, and I'll be talking about specific needs that we have as a church, and then as we always do here at St. Peter's, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit about how we should respond. There's no guilt. There's no manipulation. We're simply just going to ask God what we are to do individually, and then we're going to respond. Um, But just to let you into the focus for this year as a church, there's a couple of things we feel like God's asking us to focus on. First is this idea of church being about every day, not just an event. We talk about it all the time, but one of the ways we're going to try and kickstart that is we've got the foundation stuff going on. And if you were here on Wednesday, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming on Sunday as well. It means a lot being in church two times out of the week. Um, But the idea is what we're trying to do is flip things around a little bit in our church. So instead of church services and small groups and community groups in the week to try and love our community being the bedrock, the foundation of everything we do at church. And then some of the outworkings of that are kind of getting to know Jesus better, becoming more like him, doing the stuff he did. We want to flip those two around and we want being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the stuff he did, helping one another do the same, be the foundation of everything we do. And then out from that, Sunday events, community events, outreach, live course, evangelistic stuff, all that stuff flows from that so that we have our hearts in the right place as we're doing what we're doing. So you can catch up, as Tanel said, with Foundations online, the talks on there, please come um, week two, you can join any week and you'll be sat in locational groups. That's one focus. Second focus this year is this idea of being ambitiously local, by which we mean we want to see heaven come where we live. So not just in Broccoli, because a lot, out of interest, how many of you here live in Broccoli? Broccoli can be defined in quite a large area. How many live outside Broccoli? Wonderful. So for all you guys with your hands up, we want to see heaven come where you live. Not in Broccoli, because that doesn't make sense. I mean, e- even in the kind of local areas we're in in southeast London, if you invite a neighbour to church, wherever you might be, let's say Catford, chances are they're not going to come to a church in Broccoli on Sunday if they're not used to church. So what we want to do as a church is be generous in giving away by grafting and planting churches across southeast London. And we've got two church grafts happening this year. So I want to tell you a little bit about that and then talk about some of the theology, some of the thinking behind that for us as a church and how God's been calling us to do that. Now, Ben, I haven't warned you, but I saw you there at the back. Would you mind coming forward? I'd love to just ask you something. And then Chris Gall, if you could come forward as well. Let's give these guys a round of applause. This is Ben Strain here. This is Chris Gall here. You all know Chris. Ben, you'll know less well. Ben is the vicar and leads, along with his wife Lydia, a church in Sydenham and Forest Hill. If you were here this morning, um, we spoke to your warden and we spoke to Mike and Amy. Lots of you know Mike and Amy. They've gone um, like as an advanced team to HT, which is what the church is called. And Ben, I just wonder if you wouldn't mind telling me, um, what are you excited about at HT in Sydenham and Forest Hill? What am I excited about? Um, we are really excited about the kind of soft ground for mission and evangelism that we sense in Sydenham and Forest Hill. Uh, we joined the t- uh, church in January um, in September last year, so almost a year ago. I remember walking around the area um, and just kind of, you know, when you, you, I guess when you're looking to move and, you know, we were looking to move house, you kind of get a feel for the area and we were looking around at the kind of types of people there were and we're just praying and we just had a real sense of soft ground 
for missions. So we've got a real heart to reach out to the community um, and as we have lent into the things of the Spirit as well, there's just a real sense of hunger um, for God to do something special there. So that's what we're excited about. Thank you, mate. You can just sit there a second. We're going to pray. Um, so that's HT, Sidman, Forest Hill, Mike and Amy are already there. And then in the new year, we're going to be sending a church graph to HT. So we're supporting them this year. We send worship leaders and we're supporting in other ways with kids and stuff like that. This is Chris. You all know Chris. He's wearing, is that a new jumper, Chris? It's a beautiful jumper. Well done. Yellow looks good on you, mate. That's all right. This is Chris and I've known Chris. How long have we known each other? 13 years, very long time. Chris is going to help Dom and Alice graft a church into a church called St. James in Kidbrook. Um, you guys probably know where Kidbrook is. It's over by Blackheath. And their vicar is retiring from that church. What are you laughing? What are you laughing at? You're making me self-conscious. And um, vicar's retiring. And normally, with that sort of thing, the size they are as a church, if I'm briefly honest, it gets left and then it depletes and then it gets sold and it becomes a gym or flats. We don't want that to happen. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to send a team to help them in the interregnum and then in the new year, anyone that lives around that area, we're going to ask you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, are you being called to help Grafter Church? So Chris, can you tell us what you're excited about at St. James Kubrick? Yeah. Um, I guess the main thing is, is the people. Um, I went for the first time this morning and I met, um, they've got two services on in the morning and it was meeting the people there um, and they're just beautiful people. They're just really um, hungry for God. Um, I'm excited for the people that are gathering here in Foundations um, who are going to be coming out with us as well. So there's a real excitement around those people. I know Kozanathe, you're coming by the way. Um, but like, there's just a really like, beautiful group of people again that are up for the journey. Um, and also I'm excited for the people that we haven't met yet. And we came here four years ago, didn't know most of you. It's always just been amazing what God can do in a short space of time to create a family. And really our heart has always just been for revival, if I'm being honest, is to see an outpouring of God in a place. And to see, uh, I think, I think Cos, you mentioned the word transformation, and that was the word in my head uh, throughout the thing, is actually seeing what will it look like for God to take an area? What will it look like for that place to be impacted by the love and the power of God? And so that's um, just really exciting. And we're at the very start of the journey. The guy retires this Sunday. So we haven't even started yet, but I'm always up for a journey. So that's it. Amazing. Thanks, Chris. And Chris was involved in the Interregnum in Forest Hills. So him and the team ran um, that church before Ben got there. So Chris is brilliant at this sort of thing. Um, he shrunk. He halved the church. It shrunk. Uh, but no, it didn't. Stand up. Let's just pray for these guys. Can we just lay, some of us come and lay hands for these guys. Let's pray for both these churches. Because this is right at the beginning, the infancy of what God's doing in the three. God's been doing stuff before in these churches, in these areas. He's currently doing stuff. He's going to do amazing things in the future. So God, would you just say your Holy Spirit now on Chris and on Ben and all those that they represent for the beautiful families at these different churches at St. James and HT, for the incredible mission that you've been doing for many, many decades before we got there. And Lord, all the beautiful things you're currently doing and all the beautiful things you will do to see heaven come in Forest Hill, in Sydenham and in Kidbrook. And I just pray that you'd open the eyes, Lord, of these guys and all those with them to see what your spirit's doing so Lord, we can join in with what you're already doing. So just bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Thank you very much.
So at the end, we've got others going. In fact, um, it seems on a weekly basis, a church emails me from somewhere in southeast London asking if we can do a church graph. But Owen and Liz, you might know, they actually come in the morning, but lots of you will know them. They are going to be based in Charlton, and they're going to start to see what God might be doing there, potentially planting or grafting something in Charlton in cooperation with a lovely vicar there called Liz Newman. She's amazing, and she's invited us in to help out. There, So there's going to be these different areas of southeast London that God's leading us to go and graft and help. And at the end, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit whether some of us might be here, um, God might be calling us to go and be the advanced team. Because there'll be those of you here who love this sort of stuff. You're created to do this sort of stuff. You can't get enough of it. And God might be asking you to go and help one of those two churches. And then for all of us, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit will speak to us as to whether we are to give financially, because there's a financial cost to grafting this sort of thing, and I'll speak more about that in a second. But just before all that, if I'm brutally honest with you, this feels like a huge stretch. This feels slightly uncomfortable. If I'm honest, it feels too soon for the state we're at as a church at St. Peter's. We're only four years in, and we've just been through pretty stormy time as a church, as everybody has in this country. And before the summer, we, Hanel and I were at a church leaders retreat thing, and as they do at this sort of thing, they got in this like prophet um, who knew none of us, but is pretty accurate with prophecy. And they set up all these um, Zoom screens around, and this prophet bloke who is absolutely wacky and brilliant went around every single um, church leader and started prophesying over the church. And some remarkable stuff came out. He started prophesying over some of our friends and literally telling them about the ministries that they told us an hour before that they were wanting to start up but didn't have the resources to start up. He starts listing all the ministries and telling them where the resources are going to come from. These guys are on the floor. Anyway, got to us, and the word that he gave us as a church was from Isaiah 54 too, and it says this, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And we believe that's a prophetic word for us as the church, but when, when I heard that, I won't speak on behalf and now, when I heard that, I was like, God, that's lovely, what a lovely idea, we'll wait a year, let's just strengthen here first and then we'll do that in a year, but then the problem was we got back and it seemed pretty obvious from the momentum happening in Kibra, but also HT, that God was actually asking us to do this a little bit sooner, and uh, many of you would have been here when Mark Aldridge spoke, um, and he spoke about healing here at the evening service, and it wasn't a talk about provision or prophetic in any kind of way. He was just talking about healing. And then midway through his talk, if you remember, he suddenly said, I've got a word for you guys as a church. And he said, I see a credit card. And I feel like God's saying, spend the credit card and he'll make up the difference in the balance. And that spoke directly into how I was feeling at that moment. Because if I'm honest, I felt like this was a stretch too far. It felt overwhelming what God was asking us to do, but that felt like a spot on word at the right time as an encouragement for us. And the whole point was we're supposed to step out and take the risk before we have what we need in order to be able to do it. But that's uncomfortable, isn't it? 
I don't know how you feel about this sort of thing. Some of you, this kind of thing might not even be on your radar, this whole idea of church buying. You're like, I've never even heard of church buying. It sounds like some sort of garden or something. Or church grafting, what's that about? You might have only just arrived at St. Peter's and you're like, I've only just got here. Now they're trying to send me somewhere else. Or you might just think, actually, this doesn't feel like it's for me. I just need to actually be here and heal. And then for some of us, you might feel the same as me. You might feel overwhelmed by it. It might feel a little bit risky, quite uncomfortable. And we'll all be at different places with this sort of thing. But I think actually the thing I want to say tonight is there is an element of sacrifice and risk to what God is calling us to do here at this church. And the beauty of the narrative of the Bible is you look at the people of God throughout the Bible, you'll realize very quickly that not only were they created to do this sort of thing, but us here as humanity, as people made in the image and likeness of God, we were also created to do this. So as we step out in risk and we start to do this sort of thing, we'll realize that God will back us up because he has called us to do it. So let me give you a few scriptures along those lines. If you have your phones or Bibles, do you want to open them up and go to Genesis 1? And we're going to go from verse 26. So Genesis 1, verse 26. says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then skip forward with me to Genesis 3. And I'll come back to this bit. So Genesis 3 from verse 1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, a couple of things I want to draw out from there. First thing to notice from that Genesis 1 passage there is that we were created to be sent out. As humanity, we're created to be sent out. You see, the thing about Adam and Eve there is they're created in the image and likeness of God. They get to enjoy in the Garden of Eden, life in all its fullness. They enjoy the presence of God, walking with God in the cool of the evening. They've got this plethora of everything that they need in the garden. But God says to them, you're to take what you are enjoying in here and out into the chaos of the world. See, the mistake we often make with the creation narrative is we think that God just created the world perfect and there was nothing for us to do. And we just get to lie back and sip cocktails and enjoy our time next to a hot tub. But actually, God gave Adam and Eve a job to do. And their job was to take the order caused by the presence and the power of God in the Garden of Eden out into the chaos and bring order themselves. As he says here, they're to fill the earth, be fruitful, increase in number and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and so on and so on. As you realize when you read the Bible is this is a principle that goes throughout the whole of 
scripture. And so Israel were called to be a light to the nations. And the problem was they turned life in on themselves and stopped being a light to the nations. Jesus sends out the 12 and then the 72, doesn't he? He says, all authority has been given to me. I'm going to give you the same authority to go and do what I've just shown you that I'm doing in terms of bringing heaven to earth. In Matthew 28, he says, now you need to make disciples of all nations. Go to every corner of the earth. In John 20, which is the same sending out, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you also. There's this narrative again and again in Scripture that the people of God are the sent out ones. We're created to be sent out. We're created to take the blessing that we have in here, what we enjoy here, out into the chaos of the world and to bring order and to bring the presence of God, as we put it here, to bring heaven to southeast London, to bring heaven to Broccoli, to bring heaven to Ladywell with your new flat and your spare bedroom, to bring heaven to Catford, to bring heaven to Forest Hill and Sydney, to bring heaven to Kidbrook. We're sent out. What we're called to enjoy in here, we're supposed to go and take it out. And that's why we take planting and grafting seriously. That this isn't about simply just gathering lots of different people from all over South East London into a church in Broccoli. This is about us taking what we're enjoying here. And God has brought some remarkable people to our church. Look at yourselves. You're all remarkable. You've got incredible gifts. We seem to have church leaders coming out of our ears. Tell me, that's actually an interesting thing to have in any church you're trying to lead. But when you have that kind of blessing, when God's giving you that kind of thing, that's obviously telling us to do something. He's calling us to actually send and plant and graft out. Second thing to notice in these two passages is that we have an enemy who's trying to stop us from stepping out in faith. Genesis 3, there's two things going on there. The first thing that's going on, this is what the enemy taps into in our minds and our hearts. He's tapping into the constant temptation to make life all about ourselves. This is what sin's all about. Sin is a life turned in on itself. And so the serpent comes to Eve and says to Eve, despite the fact you've got all of this to enjoy the Garden of Eden, despite that you're enjoying God's fullness of his presence on earth, he's withholding from you. There's more that you need in order to be happy. There's something else here that God has not given you. So therefore, go and do that. And so the boundaries that God had created get broken because of our insatiable desire to make everything about ourselves to try and get more and more and more and more. And the temptation is the same for us, that we could just keep building and building and building and enjoying what we're enjoying here at this church and just keep bringing people in and in and in, but actually we, we forget to send out and to give away and to sacrificially give and be generous. So there's this temptation to make life about ourselves. There's this temptation to always think that we need more. And then the second thing that we notice in Genesis 3, this little interaction between the snake and Eve, is that we have this propensity, and it's funny how these two things work in tandem every now and again. We think we need more, but also, secondly, there's this propensity to doubt that we are enough. See, the serpent says to Eve, you won't die. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of life, and God will know that you will become like him. And the tragedy of that is they've just been told in Genesis 1, their created identity is they're made in the image and the likeness of God, how quickly we forget who we are. And we grasp after other things in order to be able to fulfill us. We doubt that we're enough. And here's the truth that we need to hold on to. The 
Truth is set out in Genesis 1 and 2. The lies come in 3. Look at how their identity unravels throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Look at how the story of God goes from being a light to all the nations, taking God's beauty and God's splendor and God's presence and God's love out into the chaos of the world and bringing his order and bringing heaven. Instead, it turns in on itself and evil has its way. So how do we combat those lies from the enemy? Well, we go back to our created identity in chapter 1, verse 26, where it says this. It says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is the most written about scripture verse in the whole of the Bible. Why? Because it gets right to the center of who we are as humans. The question I would argue the whole world is trying to answer is who am I? And what am I created to do? What's my purpose? What's my meaning? It's answered here for us in Genesis 1. So what does that actually mean? Well, it's good to know that this Genesis 1 story was written as a polemic, like an anti-creation story, if you like, to the other ancient Near Eastern creation stories of the time. So at the time, there were lots of stories about how the world came about, trying to make sense of creation, but they often res- like, re- began with lots of different gods in the universe fighting each other and then the world coming about as a result. So there's this idea that this chaos ensues around disunity and war and destruction and then the world comes about. And then the God of Israel, the one true God of created order, the creator of the heavens and the earth breaks in and shows his identity in himself and gives the story to the people of God and says, that is not true. Instead, I have created you in my image, in my likeness and here you bring order. And you bring the presence of God out into the chaos and into the world. And so it's created as this kind of polemic, anti-creation story, if you like. And the thing you need to know about those other ancient Near Eastern stories is key to each of those stories were idols. We don't know much about idols now. We don't deal with them much. But back in the day, they were a big deal. Idols are basically stone or wooden statues made in the image of these gods that were fighting each other and making a mess and creating everything. And what they would do is they would go through all these complex birthing rituals and give them water and food, give birth to them. And then the people of these ancient Near Eastern religions literally believed that those idols carried the power and the presence of the god in question. So what they would do is they would place them around different kingdoms, around different places on earth, and they would say that is how they start to conquer and start to bring whatever that ancient Near Eastern religion wanted to bring to those different areas. Now, listen to this. This is where it's such an incredible, it's a profound story in Genesis 1. What Genesis 1 is saying, instead of mute and idle, mute and dumb idols that are unable to live out their calling, who don't understand their identity, they're just carvings of wood and of stone. Here's what the one true God of Israel has done. He's created humanity, climax of the creative process in the image and in the likeness. Same words that are used for stone and wooden idols of God. But here's the difference. God breathes his breath into humanity. So when we go out into the world, we literally carry his power and his presence everywhere we go. Now what we need to know that is everywhere we step, we take him with us, whether we know it or not. Everywhere we go, we take heaven, according to the Bible and according to the rest of the story, the narrative of Scripture. So remember, Israel is supposed to be a light. 
That's what they describe God as throughout the Old Testament again and again. He's a light. In him there is no darkness whatsoever. There's supposed to be a light in the darkness. Jesus reminds us who we are. He gave the 12, the 72 in the Great Commission authority to give and to uh, subdue. And then on John 20, it says that Jesus breathed on his disciples and he sent them out. That breathing on the disciples, it's the exact representation of what happens in Genesis 2 where God breathes on humanity, fills them with his power and presence and sends them out. And then we all get a little bit um, panicky when it says in John 20, he says he breathes on them and he says, I'm going to give you authority. If you forgive people's sins, they'll be forgiven. If you don't, they won't be forgiven. You know that bit? And everyone goes, oh my goodness, that sounds like far too much responsibility. That is just simply pointing back to the fact that you, me, every single person in this room that has Jesus at the center of life, has been redeemed by what he's done on the cross, been recreated in the image and likeness of God, is the literal presence and power of God on earth. You have everything you need to do what God is calling you to do. You are more than enough. So how do we step out into that? How do we actually live that out? Because that's not necessarily what we see, isn't it? Is it day to day in our lives? Well, let me just point you to this in here in 1 Peter, the 2 Peter, sorry, chapter 1. It says this from verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received the faith as precious as ours, basically saying there that this is a gift. So this is not something we work for. It's not something that we make happen ourselves. It's only something we get because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of his spirit that fills us as a result of that. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then he says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, for our knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. Then he says this, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What's Peter doing there? He's barking right back to Genesis 1. saying, you were created to be like God. You were created to take the power and the presence of God out into the chaos and to bring the fullness of life everywhere you go. And we've forgotten who we are and we've gone grasping over after all these different things because of this propensity to doubt that we are enough and always think that we need more and make life about ourselves. But let me tell you about Jesus who lived the life that we should have lived, who died the death that we should have died as a result of our own self-obsession and instead rose from the grave, paid the price for all of our sin and is willing to, in his resurrection, come and live and reside in us again so that we are filled to overflowing with the power and the presence of God so that we can be God's idols. His literal power and presence everywhere we go. That's how we live out this calling. But notice this. For this reason, Peter then says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. What's he saying there? He's saying you can, you can have the presence of God inside you. You can be recreated into the image and likeness of God, but you can still be ineffective and unproductive. How? by not stepping out into what you're called to do, by still turning your life in on yourself and making it about us. He goes on, 
But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, he says in verse 10, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election, to spread the power and the presence of God everywhere you go. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, that every effort bit, he wouldn't tell us to make every effort if it weren't uncomfortable what he was asking us to do. To be able to step out into what God calls us to do in any arena that God is calling us, it takes that step of faith. It requires us to sacrifice some of the things we might think we need or might think that we want or this lie that goes on, repeat on our head again and again that we're not enough and we don't have what it takes. We step into it and we trust in the promises of God and we see his kingdom come as a result. This is in our DNA here as a church. We're only here because of the generosity of other churches before us, the generosity of the original congregation here and all that's been sown in this place over years and years and years. We wouldn't have been able to come here if it weren't for the generosity of a church called KXC in London who gave us 25,000 pounds to pay the other half of the stipend because the Church of England had halved it, which is by the way what's gonna happen in these other churches we're helping. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for some of you guys that came from your uh, church in central London and started coming to St. Peter's instead, gave up everything that you enjoyed there at your church there and came here and started sowing into what God was doing here. This is part of our DNA here at church. And if we are to just keep that to ourselves and keep building and building and building, I think that we'd be being disobedient to God because God is calling us out again. He's sending us out to take that step and that risk out into Southeast London. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to send our best. Chris, he's gone. Where's he gone? He's gone. He's literally gone to Kidbrook. He's heard it, and he's gone straight out of the door. He's like, I'm off. He's already squatting in the vicarage next door to the church. Um, Mike and Amy, you, some of you will know Mike and Amy. They're incredible. Chris and Sarah, they're amazing. Who's the other one? Dom and Alice. <laughs> they're great too. These guys, we're just going to send our best. I just think that's the way we do it. Well, there's a sacrifice that it's going to take as a part of this. And the sacrifice that God might be asking some of us is to go with and to start to sow into what God's doing in these areas. So in a moment, we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit if God is asking us to go and get involved in some of these churches. Um, before that, and there's no guilt on that, by the way, Cos and Athe, what Chris said, just ignore that, absolute nonsense. The, the only way, the only thing we ever need to do is respond to what the Spirit's asking us to do, really. Like, because if you're called, then it's, when it's really bad, you, you persevere, you carry on doing it because you know you're called. We have to be called, otherwise it's just gonna be a nightmare and we're not gonna enjoy it. And even if we don't enjoy it, we'll come straight back because we don't feel called by God. So everything is done in response to what he's calling us to do. So there's no guilt whatsoever. Some of you who live in those areas might be called to stay here. Some of you who don't live in those areas might be called to go there even though you live closer to here. That's just the way the Holy Spirit works. Let's not try and domesticate him because he has his strange ways. Anyway, before we do that, there's also some financial needs that I spoke about this morning. I'm speaking about 
tonight as well in order to make these sorts of things happen. We've got one financial need, which is we need to build a cabin um, at the back of the Vicarage Garden so that I can have like a studio with like a band recording studio and then a hot tub and a big screen TV and just so I can relax in the evening. No, we need it for kids' work at the back of the Vicarage. We're doing it at the back of the Vicarage because planning permission on church land is a nightmare, whereas we've already got permission at the back of the Vicarage. Now, to build that that's big enough for the, ki in the kids in the morning, we have over 100 kids, right? You lot don't care about that. You come in the evening. But let's see this as sacrificially giving away to bless the morning church because the kids need more space and there's lots of kids that need to be able to have their place there on Sunday. If you don't want to think about that, think about the poor staff team here at St. Peter's who currently have to work off their laptops at different places in the church with lots of kids buzzing around during the week with dance and then with food bang and we've just got no office. So we're going to use it as an office during the week and then we're going to use it for kids' space on Sunday. It's going to cost 60 grand to build that, which sounds like a lot, but it's a lot cheaper than the building project, which we looked into and I decided I might have a breakdown if we do it, so we're not going to do it. Instead, we're going to do this because it's, it's cheaper and easier and quicker, I think. Um, it won't have plumbing uh, or heating. Will it have heating? It'll have heating. It'll be warmer. But anyway, we're doing that. 60 grand, so we need to raise the money for that. Somebody's already given some, um, a gift towards that. We need to get um, the rest of it. But really, in addition to that, in order to support what's happening at HT and in Sydney and Forest Hill, and in order to support what's happening in Kidbrook, um, particularly Kibbrook because it starts now, we need to um, either create more hours in the day for our current team who are do doing different things in St. Peter's and really, if I'm honest, work over and above their hours that they're paid to work here to create a bit more headroom and capacity for them to go and bless these churches and help these churches. We need to raise more money to pay them for more time or to get them support so that somebody else can go and do that. So we're looking for about 25K there for the staffing needs but the ministry needs in those two churches so in total that is 85 um they don't put me in charge of the math that's why chris is here chris is our treasurer give us a wave chris there he is he's good with numbers and he knows what he's doing and he has graphs that just go up which makes me happy every time but i don't know what they mean so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit how we, uh, here's, how we, here's how we give, we follow the Spirit. If you consider yourself a part, of this, if you're not a part of this church or you're visiting, just ignore anything I've said. Don't worry about it. Invest in your local church. If you don't go to church, don't worry about it. You don't need to think about it. If you come here, you consider this part of your church and you're not yet giving monthly to the church, can I ask you just to ask the Holy Spirit if you're to start that and what the figure is? I always think that's the best way of doing it. God, I belong here. Um, what is it you want me to give monthly? Because when we have monthly giving, it's easier for us to plan, isn't it, Chris? Um, but those of us that are already giving regularly to the church, can we just, because we do these twice a year, it's a bit of a special appeal type jobby. Can you just ask the Holy Spirit if God is asking you to give a one-off gift this evening? So one-off gift towards the hot tub and the big wide screen over in the Vicarage Garden, or probably more sensibly to uh, us being able to graft and plant these churches. Let's just spend a bit of time waiting on the spirit. We'll do it in silence. So Holy Spirit, we don't want this to be manipulative or guilt-inducing. We simply want to respond to what you're asking us to do. Thank you for those stories for provision. Thank you for the way in which you spoke really cl clearly to those people. I ask that you do that now. So let's just leave some space. Ask the spirit what he wants us to do.
So you're sitting on this. Could you just grab this from your seat? Just wave it in the air so I know everyone's got one. Brilliant. So on there is, it, this is a pledge form. So this is where you can write down what you feel like the Spirit's asking you to do. So name, address, email, phone number I'd like to give per month or weekly or quarter. And then uh, there's the regular one there or the one-off donation underneath that. And then gift day, the government give us 25p because we're a charity, 25p to every pound. So please fill that in if you're a taxpayer because then we get that money back. Once you've done that, you can take a picture of it so that you have it. And then if you could put this in the goblet of fire at the back of church there. So you know that big round, yeah, there it is. Um, stick it in there, thank you. Um, if you want to take this home and pray about it, think about it, please feel absolutely free. You don't have to do it tonight, speak to whoever you need to speak to, ask God what you need to do. If you want to ignore it totally, obviously do that too. Um, why don't we, what should we do? Should we dance? Prophetic dance, interpretive dance. Uh, let's just pray instead. Um, you can fill that in, there's pens there. If just before you go, you could fill it in and then stick it in that font at the back. That would be lovely. Should we stand? There's a few people I'd love to pray for. I'd love us to pray for people who absolutely love this sort of thing. So they love, um, you're an adventurer. Um, the Bible calls you apostolic. You love being sent out. You love doing something new. You love breaking new ground for the kingdom. You, you probably got a bit of an entrepreneurial mind. You're always having ideas about different businesses or creative things you can do. If that is you, we would love to pray for you tonight for more of the, the presence of the Spirit. So if that's you, could you come forward now for prayer? Ben Strain, if you wouldn't mind coming forward. Um, let's pray for HT as well and Sydney and Forest Hill. So come and find a space at the front. <clears throat> so entrepreneurs, adventurers, those people who consider themselves apostolic, like doing new things. Brill. <clears throat> well, now I feel like we need more. What else should we pray for? Let's pray also for those of us who feel like we're not enough. I think God's been doing something consistently over these last few weeks where he's restoring confidence. So if you have that kind of reel that's going on in your head the whole time, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, look at that person, I'm not good enough. Can we just have, let's just do it again if you don't mind, let's have another pray because I think that's a process for God, for God to, his spirit to speak truth over our lives as we do it. So if that's you, come forward now and I'm realizing as I'm saying that, that's terribly exposing considering that's going around your head. So what we'll do is, Lizzie, if you could just come and sing a song, thanks, in the background. But, hey, 